here. Perhaps today is your first day visiting us, or if you're just looking for more ways to get plugged in, if you look on the back of your chair, you should find a welcome home card. Fill that out, and after the sermon, we will pass around an offering basket. Just toss it in there, and we will be in touch with you very soon. Now, lastly, an update on our fire alarms. Thank you for tracking with us. We have been moving very rapidly towards a resolution, and we will be keeping you updated as steps are taken. Now, Pastor Rex is going to start a new series for us today, Jesus, Champion of His Church, with the sermon, We Value People. So, Pastor Rex, welcome. Awesome, awesome, and uh, welcome to Grace on this Father's Day weekend, and uh, a shout out to all the, the dads, thanks for all you do, all you have done, and all you will do. Thanks mostly for those of you who really show stellar character to your family and uh, provide some awesome leadership and example for them. You know, Debbie and I have been a privilege to be involved in scores and scores and scores and scores and scores and scores of weddings uh, through many years of ministry. We work as a team on those. Debbie coordinates a lot of details and that kind of thing, and uh, I get the privilege of officiating uh, the wedding and leading in that part. And I feel that through the years, we have seen just about everything. We have seen fainting groomsmen where their knees buckled and they fell. We've seen overly nervous uh, bridesmaids through the years. At one uh, wedding ceremony, the, the flowers that the maid of honor w was holding were so heavy. You know, those can get heavy when they're real flowers especially and they've got moisture in them. They were so heavy that it was like she was holding a 20-pound dumbbell, okay? And after about 20 minutes of that, standing there, her arms began to shake with fatigue. But she, even though she was exhausted, she didn't dare put those flowers down. And it was just miserable as she stood there. I've seen groomsmen wear white socks with their tuxedos, like basketball socks, and green Boston Celtics socks with tuxedos. I've seen brides have emotional meltdown just before the service. Once, Debbie and I honestly thought we were going to have our first runaway bride. I mean, she was melting down just before the service was going to start. We honestly thought the young lady was going to bolt. I've seen wedding rings dropped. I've seen people temporarily forget where they put the ring. And there was a moment of panic, like, where's the ring? One of the more dramatic things that ever happened during a wedding ceremony was, you know the unity candle that's often a part of the service? It, it's meant to be a beautiful symbol of the mystical union as, as God takes two people and makes them one in marriage. And this unity candle, all eyes were on the unity candle. And it was so beautiful, and everything had gone perfectly, and they lit the unity candle together. It was just awesome, this bride and groom. 
And then right after the candle was lit, inexplicably, poof, it went out. And there was a gasp from the congregation because everybody thought, oh no, this must be a bad omen. I feel like I've seen just about everything. I'll never forget one wedding here in the Capital District where uh, it was was in a, a different church building and the building didn't have air conditioning. And that's cool. Most church buildings actually don't have air conditioning, believe it or not. And uh, the church was packed for the wedding, and it just happened that the day was over 95 degrees outside, and we all felt like we were in a sauna. Literally, we were just wet, dripping sweat that day. There's so many memories from weddings, and we feel like we've seen everything. But you know, there's one thing I've never seen in all my years. I've never seen an unattractive bride. Really, never in all my years have I seen an ugly bride. Their hair is perfect, every hair in place. Makeup has been meticulously applied. Their nails are perfect. Uh, Everything is color coordinated, everything. And I've never known of a bride who got up that day and said, I wonder what I'm gonna wear today. You know what I'm saying? It is amazing all the care that's put into it. Well, Jesus says... He uses this amazing metaphor. He says the church is his bride. And his bride, the church, that's us who know Christ, are to be without spot, wrinkle, or any blemish. And Jesus, the groom, says, I love my bride. I love the church, and so should we. We begin a brand new series today as a part of this Luke series called Jesus, Champion of His Church. And I want to say to you that if you're exploring Christ, maybe you're here and you just wonder what all this is about. (laughs) Maybe someone told you about the church. Maybe you've just been curious. Maybe God has been kind of spurring you on in this quest to figure out what is this Christian thing all about. Well, I'm glad you're here. And maybe you've got a lot of questions about the church. Maybe you've grown up in a cynical environment. And you'd love to have those questions answered. I believe that over the next several weeks, many, many of your questions are going to be answered. And I pray that God uses this series within Luke's gospel to bring you to a place of seeing, first of all, what the church is, but mostly who the champion of the church is, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So today we begin by looking at a story of how Christ responded to a woman in the synagogue, and he ends up healing this woman, but the shocker is that the ruler of the synagogue, the guy who was in charge, and other religious leaders were not happy. They were ticked off, actually, because they had forgotten how much God really loves, how much God values people. So here's the deal. If we're living for him... And looking to represent him well. Here's the thing. We need to value people the same way Jesus does. But how? Well, I think today's lesson is going to help us with that. And listen, the church will never really be great until we learn to value people the way Jesus 
does. So let's get started here. Let's let the story speak to us. And I want you to see a number of things here right out of the story about how Jesus valued people. And again, these should be incredible lessons for us as we seek to be his body, his bride, the church of the living God. The first thing I would want you to consider is that to value people, we need to notice them. Now, that may seem so simple to you that you would just go, well, duh, but it all begins there. A need cannot be met unless it's known. So let's pick this story up here in Luke 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. I'll say it again. Before a need can be met, it has to be known. Now, I realize that many people, and this is what all the surveys say that are done by various parachurch organizations, many people want to remain anonymous in church. Did you know that? They don't want to be known. And I kind of understand that. I think there are seasons in life that we may be going through something, and we just, just right now, we just don't feel like we have the capacity to maybe reach out and be known and get to know some people. And so, especially in larger churches like Grace, many people kind of want to uh, sneak in and maybe sit toward the back and have no one notice them. They want to kind of blend in and then just kind of slip out inconspicuously. But one of the covenant commitments that we make at Grace in our membership is we say this, I will build meaningful relationships that lead to spiritual growth. And that is vital in the Christian life. If we're going to become truly Christ-centered people, listen, the Christian life wasn't meant to be lived alone. It's meant to be lived in vital fellowship, relationship with other believers moving on this journey together. So if you're exploring Christ, I want you to know, if you end up being a fully committed follower, it's going to mean you get in relationships. If you're a new beginner in Christ today, I want you to know, as you get closer to Christ and become fully Christ-centered, a part of that is getting immersed in fellowship. So I want to give you my first challenge of the day. I hope there will be a number of them. It's time for some of you to kind of get out of your shell and let people get to know you a little bit. It's time for you to know and to be known. In fact, I'll even put it to you this boldly. I think for some of you, God has a whole storehouse of blessings with your name on it. But the doors aren't going to start opening on that storehouse until you get out of your shell, out of your comfort zone, let your hair down a little bit, let people get to know you a little bit, and then some of those blessings can begin to come. Jesus saw this woman, and he invited her forward. By the way, usually if you study the miracles of Jesus, he almost always invites the person to get involved in some way. So this woman had to make some effort. She had to come out of her shell. She had to step, stand up and step out and start forward. 
And he says, come on up here. And he knew that she really needed something more in her life. Now, I want to tell you that all around you right now are people with needs, and I mean legitimate needs. Perhaps behind you today are some people who are grieving over a significant loss in their lives. Possibly, maybe to the front of you, are some parents who are heartbroken over a wayward child that is honestly just breaking their hearts. Perhaps to your left or to your right are some people who are very, very lonely. And honestly, they're looking to be in relationship. And maybe that around you, possibly sitting right beside you today, are some people who are fearful about their future. They don't know what it holds. They don't know if they can really face the future. Some around you are battling rejection. They've had horrible things happen to them. They've had people that they love really let them down. And some people around you right now are desperately afraid that before they get out of here today, that someone might stop them and go, hello, how are you? And even though that would be such a kind gesture, it is terrifying to them because they just don't know if they're willing to be known. My guess is that this dear woman in our story today had not felt cherished or valued for the past 18 years. But Jesus, our Lord, was about to change all of that. Now, what's the application of all this for us? Listen, mature Jesus followers out there, you know who you are, I hope. Mature Christians out there, I want to give you your first commission of the day. When you come to worship, when you gather with other believers, especially in a group as large as the one we're in now, but this should be true at other size meetings as well, small groups, your men's or women's meetings, all kinds of group gatherings, you ought to come asking this question with this prayer on your lips, Lord, how can I add value to someone's life today? You know what I think? I think that kind of prayer is pretty rare. Because we live in a me generation that's very self-absorbed and self-centered. And I tell you, I get the sense that not many Christians are really asking that. Instead, they're asking, Lord, give me something, give me something. What is in this for me? There's nothing wrong with getting something yourself. But here's what we miss. We usually get our blessing when we focus on adding value to somebody else. So I'm going to make you a promise today, Christians. I'm going to make you an ironclad promise. If you dare to pray that prayer when you come to worship or any Christian gathering, Lord, how can I add value to someone else's life? I want to tell you, I'll make you a promise God will answer that prayer. And you will begin to see people in need all around you. You'll suddenly be sensitized to them. It's almost like you'll have another sense, a sixth sense that God the Holy Spirit gives you and man, will he use you to add value to others. But secondly, if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to be the amazing church, the bride he's called us to be, we need to understand that to value people, we need to show we care. It's not enough just to notice people or notice a need. we got to follow through. I don't always do that. Can I make that confession to you? 
I have seen people, and it looked like, wow, they were weeping during the message or weeping during worship. It happens a lot, actually. Or it's obvious that God is touching them in some way just from their body language and their posture or maybe through a word that they say. And you know what? I think, boy, I hope somebody ministers to them. I hope, I hope somebody stops and helps them. And sometimes I just go my own way hoping that God will bring somebody to help. Have you ever done that? And yet you're a somebody. And I'm a somebody. And yet sometimes we do little or nothing, even when we notice people. We've got to show we care, and that takes some involvement. In verse 13, it says, then he put his hands on her. By the way, Jesus often when he healed, not always, but often he would literally place his hands on the person. And immediately she straightened up and praised God. What would that have been like? To be bound down like this, unable to straighten for 18 years, and suddenly within a matter of seconds to be miraculously healed. Jesus valued her through an appropriate touch. Now, counseling experts will tell you that inappropriate touch can be devastating in a person's life for years. But appropriate touch, appropriate touch can be one of the most powerfully affirming and encouraging things of all. So never underestimate the power of appropriate touch. Babies who are held and cuddled, even when very small, flourish and thrive far more than babies who aren't. Did you know that touch can even lower a person's blood pressure? There are all kinds of incredible values to it. So never underestimate the value of a simple handshake, a pat on the back, an arm about the shoulder, or a hug. But in our hurried and hectic culture, I believe that there's actually another way that often shows love even more powerfully, not just touch, but, but time. In fact, in our culture, we're so hassled and hectic and frenetic and stretched out with no margin, I believe that love is often spelled T-I-M-E. I'll tell you, when you pause and intentionally spend time with someone, it is a profound act of love. And Jesus, of course, modeled that beautifully. And what I'm saying to you is that if we're going to represent him, if we're honestly his bride, his people, we're to do the same. In a day when men didn't even talk to women in public, Jesus had a lengthy and meaningful conversation with a woman at a well in Sychar in Samaria. When a woman was brought to him who was being condemned by a group of people who were ready to stone her, literally throw rocks and kill her, Jesus paused. He didn't get caught up in the frenetic vibe of it all. He paused and he talked to her and eventually said, go now and leave your life of sin. He spent three years pouring into 12 men, his apostles, and other disciples who also traveled with them, both men and women. What was he doing? He was teaching them. He was mentoring them. He was modeling for them 
and he was spending time with them, and that showed love. I heard of a mother who was preparing pancakes for her young sons. Kevin was five, and Ryan was three, and they loved their mom's pancakes, let me tell you. And so they began to kind of argue and bicker as she was preparing the pancakes over who was going to get the first pancake. And she saw this as a teachable moment. She wanted to teach them a moral lesson. And she said, now boys, you know, if Jesus were here, he would say, well, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. And Kevin, who was five, looked at his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> and sometimes we cop the attitude, look, you be Jesus. I know I can be sometimes, but, but you go ahead and act like Jesus in this situation. And we let Satan whisper to us, let somebody else do it. And we miss these, what we think are little opportunities to show we care, but in reality, they may be enormous. Mike Iaconelli was always a favorite uh, personality of, of Debbie and me. We loved his humor. He was a, a leader of youth specialties for many years and hosted a lot of conferences that we went to. Iaconelli, in his book, Messy Spirituality, talks about how little acts of compassion can become big. He told this story, which I, I've never forgotten in this book. He says that during the last months of World War II, the British conducted daily bombing raids over Berlin. And how that would usually happen is, this big bomber plane would leave from an airstrip in England, and it would be accompanied by smaller fighter planes that would kind of escort it, if you will, to Berlin. The bombing would happen, and then they would escort it back to the safety of England. But one night, after a successful bombing raid, as they were heading for the safety of England, the bombers were attacked by a large group of Nazi fighter planes. And somehow, during this dogfight, Iaconelli says, one of the bombers found itself flying alone with no protection. And suddenly, a Nazi fighter appeared out of nowhere and began bearing down on the bomber. It got closer and closer until finally it was in range. They prepared for the worst and watched helplessly as tracer bullets began spitting from the fighter. Bullets whizzed by them, over them, under them, and then finally, thud, 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 thud. Five bullets hit the fuselage of the bomber. Gasoline began to pour out. They knew there would be an immediate explosion, but to their amazement, no explosion. Miraculously, they were able to make it back to their base and get safely off of the plane. Well, after uh, several hours, one of the mechanics came up to the crew's barracks and gave them five bullets that he had found inside the fuel tanks. They were crumpled but not exploded. He handed them to the pilot, and the pilot carefully opened the shells, and to the crew's amazement, they found that none of them had gunpowder in them. Inside, one was a tiny wad of paper. And when he unfolded the paper, he found a note which read, We are Polish POWs, forced to make bullets in factory. When guards do not look, we do not fill with powder. Is not much, but is best we can do. Please tell family we are alive. And the note was signed by four Polish prisoners of war. 
five tiny bullets out of millions and millions and millions of bullets manufactured for the war. But those five made all the difference for the crewmen of a British bomber. And Yacanelli concludes, the power of goodness is found in the tiny. Since the beginning, God has chosen the tiny over the large. David over Goliath. Gideon and his 300 soldiers over thousands of Midianites. Elijah over the prophets of Baal. One sheep over the 99 sheep. Spirituality is about doing the tiny work of God. Little acts, small responses to God's presence in our lives. And then he says of his own church, every week my church shows me heroic acts by ordinary people who never will be recognized. That's true of Grace Fellowship as well. Do you know what? This church is made up of heroic men and women who are never going to be celebrated in the local paper. They're never going to have some parade in their honor or some banners put out. They're never going to be celebrated on TV as heroes. But they show they care in all kinds of small ways every single day. Bravo. That's representing Jesus well. You're showing that you care. But third, if we're going to value people, we need to see beyond the surface to the real issue. Because if we're not careful, we can just become shallow, slap you on the back, have a nice smile on, have some surface pleasantries, but never get to the gut-wrenching issues that are destroying people's lives. We read on in verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, now imagine, imagine being at church and having your leader ring, ream you out for wanting to get help from God. Listen to this. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Woo! The Lord answered him, and now Jesus is confronting the synagogue ruler and the other leaders, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, I love that phrase, that's a term of endearment and value he's giving her. This daughter of Abraham whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years be free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Are you listening? Every pastor, every church leader are to read this with a sober spirit. Are we guilty at times of allowing our policies to get in the way of genuine compassion for people? I'm talking about our man-made policies. Not Bible truth now. That's a whole different story. Are we guilty of being so insistent upon compliance with our man-made rules that we actually allow people's needs to go unmet? The Life Application Bible says, the Pharisees hid behind their own set of laws to avoid love's obligation. But oh, how different Jesus' approach was. He wasn't gonna let anything stand in the way of helping this dear woman 
really needed help. He called her a daughter of Abraham. <laughs> that was special. He added value to women back at a time when women were greatly devalued. And you add value to people too, friend, when you determine that you're going to do anything apart from sinning in order to genuinely address a need in their life. I have a number of books in my library on the great Dr. Albert Schweitzer. His story is really interesting. He was a famous musician and a famous theologian. And then after having a career in both of those, he went and became a medical doctor. He just was a multifaceted Renaissance man. Andrew Davison of Colgate Rochester Seminary wrote this story about a personal visit that he paid Dr. Schweitzer in Africa. And Schweitzer devoted decades of his life to serving the underserved people of Africa. And Schweitzer was 85 years old when he made the visit. Let me read it to you. Dr. Albert Schweitzer was 85 years old when I visited his jungle hospital at Lamborini on the banks of the Ogawi River. You can imagine the deep and profound effect of that three-day visit with this man, which included opportunity for some leisurely conversation with this great humanitarian, theologian, musician, and physician. But one event stands out in a special way of my three days there. It was about 11 o'clock in the morning, and the equatorial sun was beating down mercilessly, and we were walking up the hill with Dr. Schweitzer. Suddenly, he left us and strode across the slope of the hill to a place where an African woman was struggling upward with a huge armload of wood for the cook fires. I watched with both admiration and concern as this 85-year-old man took the entire load of wood and carried it on up the hill for the relieved woman. When we all reached the top of the hill, one of the members of our group asked Dr. Schweitzer why he had done something like that, implying that in that heat and at his age, he shouldn't do that. And Schweitzer, looking right at all of us and pointing to the woman, simply said, I love this line, simply said, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. No one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. Are you checking out Christianity today? Can I tell you something? That line kind of sums up what Jesus did for you and me. He looked at our load of sin that we could have never borne on our own or carried on our own. And he said, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. And he took it on himself at the cross. He paid the penalty that I could have never paid for my sins. And he paid for your sins as well. He wants a relationship with you. But can I go even beyond that? In another sense, that beautiful line from Dr. Schweitzer kind of sums up what we're to be as a healthy church as well. We're to look around us at, as we notice people, and as we show that we care, and as we go beyond the surface pleasantries to the real issues down beneath, and we're, gonna, we're supposed to be coming with an attitude, no one should ever have to carry a burden like that alone. And we do that for people both inside and outside the church, right? It's not just inside. It's outside as well. That's, by the way, why we have Bible studies 
and small groups that pastor people and care for people deeply. And I'm telling you, some of our groups, wow, I'm so proud of them. Some of our small groups are so well led. They're led by caring men and women who see beyond the surface pleasantries and they see, see the real needs inside. They're helping people with their marriages that are struggling. They're helping people who have fears about the future, who have all kinds of hurts and habits and hang-ups in life, and they're helping them by God's power to get through that. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. But we're also here to focus on needs outside the community. We're to good, be, do good to all people as we have the opportunity. That's why just a few weeks ago on the day before Mother's Day, 80 of us from Grace Fellowship, we could have had many more than that, but we literally capped it at 80 people and didn't allow any more than that to go because we were partnering with three sister churches in the area where there's just a wonderful relationship between these churches. We all know we're on the same team anyway, right? We've got the same Lord. We've got the same leader. Jesus is the champion of his church. And so we came together in Troy on a Saturday morning over on Hillside North and just served people who are underserved. We had professional painters there who were using their skill. We had people there who were doing landscaping and beautifying whole areas, entrances to buildings and so on and so forth. We, we adopted a playground where children play, and boy, it has seen better days, let me tell you. And before we were done, that playground looked beautiful again. All kinds of needs met, physical and emotional, and people were encouraged. Why do we do that? Because we're the bride of Christ. We're his hands and feet in this world. We're called to notice needs and meet those needs inside the church and outside the church. And I want to tell you, we're going to keep doing that until he comes back. This is not a hit and run deal. We are going to have a faithful presence for Jesus Christ until he returns. And that is exciting stuff. That's something worth getting up for every day and giving your life to. But there's one final thing I want you to see here. To really value people, we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know one of the things I'm struck by? As I read not only Luke's gospel, but the other gospel stories, how many times after Jesus added value to people, he had some encounter, there was intense, have you ever noticed this? intense, sometimes even raucous rejoicing. And the same was true in the book of Acts when people with a need would encounter God's representatives, the church. They would go walking and leaping and praising God because of the value, the difference that had been made. We read on here in verse 13. When he said this to all his, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. So to add value to people, we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. There's a lot of celebration in the Bible when you really think about it. In fact, you read a chapter like Luke 15, where we're going to get to in just a few weeks, and you've got the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. You know what all those stories have in common? 
<laughs> Not just that all these things were lost, but when they are found, guess what? There's immense rejoicing. The Bible says a lot about rejoicing, and we need to get better at it, frankly. The Bible says the early church, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was rejoicing going on as lives were being changed. And I think, hopefully, the application to us is obvious. As we add value to people, there, there's going to be immense joy in this place. <laughs> you can't contain it. You, you, you may try to put a lid on it. You can't shut it down when Jesus is changing lives. There's going to be rejoicing. God has made this church, by his grace, to be a very special place. Often when people move away for a career opportunity, maybe to another state, or they move away to be closer to family or whatever, it, I, I, I'm amazed at how often they, they get back to me. They'll send an email or they'll write a letter. And, and, and often this is the tone of it. Usually they're asking, Pastor, where can I find a church like Grace? Well, I get a little worried about that because no church is the same, right? And there's churches that are a lot more dynamic than grace, and there are churches that are not quite as dynamic as grace. So don't look for exactly the same church. Just pick the best one you can find and get in it and get involved. But what they almost always say is, wow, I never thought I would miss it this much. Grace was a very special place. I had a couple just two weeks ago stop and just say I just want to thank you we've been away now for a number of years we love this place God changed our lives here and we didn't realize how good it was until we were away from it so if you're checking out church if you're wondering what it's all about I want to say to you grace is a very imperfect church please know that part if you ever find a perfect church please don't join it you'll wreck it the moment you join it. So please don't join a perfect church. Grace is not perfect. It's so far from perfect. But somebody said there are four things that people need in life to be really fulfilled and satisfied. They need something to do. They need something to dream. They need something to believe. And they need someone to love. Do you know what? God has given us all of that in the church. Something to do? You want to serve? Oh, the opportunities to make a difference are endless. Something to dream? Oh, come dream with us about the kingdom of God coming on earth as it is in heaven. Come and dream with us about the rejoicing that we're going to have together when we're in heaven together. Something to believe? That's God's word. His truth is marching on and it never, ever changes no matter how the culture changes. And someone to love? His name is Jesus Christ, and he's worthy of all of our love and devotion because he is the champion of his church. Father, thank you that you changed a woman's life who'd been bowed down and bound for 18 years. <laughs> all around today are stories similar to that. For we were bound in sin for decades, some of us, some maybe less, but then you came 
you added value. <laughs> you got involved. You not only noticed us, but you showed you care by going to the cross. You saw this beneath the surface stuff, and you saw the real issue in our lives. And oh, how happy we are. Thank you that we can rejoice in all you've done. Help us to add that kind of value to people every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rex, for that sermon. We value people. At this time, I'd like to invite the ushers forward to collect our tithes and offerings. Don't forget to put your welcome home cards in those baskets. The big idea for the week is this. We are called.